0: Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we address the next most critical ingredient in sharing the message of the gospel as is observed from the very first evangelists. When the apostles had a platform to describe the grace of God, the center of their witness of Jesus's lordship rested on none other than the resurrection. Well, Thanks for joining us as we challenge ourselves towards clarity of the good news, no matter the outcome. It was a couple years ago, uh, Emily and I were awakened in the middle of the night with a crash that came from one of the rooms. I kind of went outside, I peeked around, I couldn't see anything, and groggily enough went right back to sleep, but that next morning, as I walked into my office, I discovered an entire bookshelf had fallen down, which in and of itself would have been bad, except for the fact this bookshelf also housed my fish tank. 20 gallons of water, all soaked into the carpet, all my fish stinking dead on the floor, and my books like sponges soaking up all of that water. So I got after it, and a little reluctantly started to pull books out and set them aside, and get the fan out on them, and uh, I don't know about you, but if you ever have something kind of crummy like that happen, I'm a little less motivated to get it done, so I kind of stopped what I was doing. I went on to some other chores. I had a few meetings, came back later that afternoon, and guess what was waiting for me? A big old mess. So got after it again, and as I started to lift some of the books off, I saw my fish, and then I saw something I'd never expected. They were still alive. Somehow, in the soaked carpeting, they had stayed alive in that environment. And so immediately my plans changed. I wasn't worried about the books anymore. Now I was trying to save my fish. Now I know it's just fish, right? That's all it is. And uh, I'm happy to report they lived. They've had many babies since. Very happy. (laughs) My point in telling you that story is just to show you how acutely your priorities change when you see life. This is true for the disciples. Remember the story? Jesus on the cross. Jesus arrested every one of the sheep scattered as the shepherd is struck. And then he hangs on the cross and and in despair, they in bewilderment and despot don't know where to go or where to turn until Sunday morning, Easter morning, as Mary makes her way to the disciples, they've taken him. We don't know where he is. And the angel's words seem too good to be true. He is not here. He is alive. He is risen. And something changes. Something completely changes for the disciples. Where once they ran away, now seeing the risen Jesus alive, their priorities have changed. We have some beautiful pictures of this as uh, the gospel writer Luke unfolds his story in his second volume, the book of Acts, which is the unfolding of the church to go to the Gentiles. He records this in chapter 16 regarding Paul and Silas. They are locked up in jail. It's midnight. And do you know what they're doing? Locked up in jail? They're singing. Can you imagine the other prisoners? What? I'll have what those guys are having. I mean, like, what is it that's making these men who are locked in chains, not in despair, but now with joy in the darkest part of the night to sing hymns to the Lord? I don't know about you, but I know my own heart. When things aren't looking so good for me, when I feel the metaphorical chains, do you know the very last thing I feel like doing is? Singing. And yet something changed for them, and it was because, singularly because, they saw the risen Jesus. He is alive, and their entire demeanor changes. In fact, we have a few more evidences of this from the, uh, from the apostles. Uh, this is as Peter gets arrested. There's an, there's an amazing miracle of a healing that takes place that sets in motion a sequence of events that unfolds in the book of Acts. And here uh, it says, when they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. They just can't even help it. It's like bubbling over. It cannot be contained. In Acts chapter 5, you have this as the witness summary statement of all the apostles. It says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is king. Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the Christ. Now, when it comes to sharing the message of the gospel, you can see... It was not hard for them. In fact, they couldn't even help it. Even when they were told to be quiet, they couldn't shut up. Fast forward 2,000 years. And what we have is as well an understanding of God's grace, but sometimes as being wrapped up either in tradition or even in perhaps bad teaching. Many times the proclamation that comes from Christians is wrapped Not so much in the nuts and bolts of what the apostles heard and saw. But sometimes we feel like we need to appeal to something more material to get people interested in Jesus. Follow Jesus and he will heal you and make you all better. Follow Jesus and, and he will make you wealthy and rich. Follow Jesus and you can look like those hipster Christians on TV. None of of that's true. None of that was anything remotely close to what the apostles believed. You see, Jesus even taught against this. It wasn't riches. Jesus says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, so if you follow him, maybe you will become as lucky to be as destitute as Jesus and the apostles. Jesus says not that you'll get healed necessarily in this life, but in this life you will have trouble. So come to Jesus and get into some trouble. Um, A tougher one that we see played out as allegiance is given to Jesus is that the relationships that you value may not be mended because Jesus says, do not think that I've come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword that brother would betray brother. You see, an allegiance to Jesus is an allegiance outside of this world's values and what it loves. And yet, too often, when it comes to sharing the good news of the gospel, we try to mix it with the world's values. And so our goal for this morning, as we are getting kind of chapter 2 now, in our ability to learn how do we share the actual message, we are going to look at exactly what did the first apostles say. What was their message? I'm not so much interested in today's message. Some things actually could be quite good. But I'd like for us instead to be focused on what is it they said. And let's leave the outcome. Let's leave the results of whether or not a person turns their heart to Jesus. Let's leave that up to God. And let's see if we can focus having made a a unique recalibration to our sharing of the gospel to say it's successful. Not if they necessarily repent and come to faith, but it's successful if I clearly described the truth. I brought a stack of books with me that I uh, am using as I'm working through this material. Um, this one uh, focuses on for evangelism, hospitality, and listening. Uh, it talks about having them over for a cup of coffee. That's a, a very good strategy. Uh, this one's all about warning people about hell Maybe that's your strategy to share the good news. Identifying idols in their lives and then focusing on God's sovereignty and his grace and his power. This one's all about displaying the love of God through good works and loving your neighbor. This one has to do with basing your strategy upon the context of relationships and focusing really on the heart of individuals. And this one is all about developing a church culture that fosters evangelism. Bad stuff or good stuff? What do you think? It's all good stuff. And yet, not a single one of these, as I have combed through them, focuses on the heart of the message that the gospel, uh, that the apostles themselves shared. And so we're going to have a little bit of a journey this morning. We're, we are going to look at, for our time, we're going to look at five sermons. Boy, you guys lucky today. Not one sermon. You're getting five of them. Uh, In the book of Acts, we have the Apostle Peter speaking five times. He gives five sermons. And what we're going to do is look at short little excerpts of those sermons to see if we can trace some common themes by which you and I can learn how to pattern our proclamation of the gospel after their proclamation of the gospel. You guys with me? I saw some heads nodding. That's good. Okay, we're going to be in the book of Acts. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to walk us through these five sermons, and then we'll work through some observations uh, to wrap up this morning. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2. So please take out your Bibles. Find one in the back of the pew in front of you. Open it up to the New Testament right after the Gospels. Acts chapter 2. We are going to hear Peter's first sermon. Peter's. as you're turning there, Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse Verse 22. Um, Peter is addressing the crowd because something amazing has happened. Um, the Holy Spirit has poured out um, the ability for the disciples to speak in languages they haven't learned. So that as all those who have come from countries beyond Jerusalem are gathered here for Pentecost, they can hear the message In their native language, in their own tongues, that which they learned from childhood. The apostles are now doing this and people are like, what's happening? This is incredible. Why is this going on? And so it's Peter who stands up. Who who would have bet it would have been Peter to stand up and uh, give the first sermon. So that's what we have going on. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said this about him. I saw the Lord always before me because he's always at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not to abandon, be abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out What you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Pretty good sermon, huh? A little bit shorter than mine, but that's all right. Maybe Luke didn't get it all. It's a good one. All right, we're going to move on to the second one now. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to chapter 3. As you turn in chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 11. And the context around this short sermon is that Peter and John were looking for a place to pray. They were going through the temple. It was the regular time for prayer. And they saw a man begging And not having money, not having anything else to give him, Peter miraculously heals him. And it's this healing that starts in motion a a path of um, interest and then confusion and then arrest and finally proclamation about who Jesus is all coming from this one act of healing. And so we're going to pick up the story here as Peter is now going to reply to the crowds that are gathered. You have all these Uh, all these folks that are coming to find out how is he healed? And look at him moving and jumping. How is this happening? Acts chapter 3, verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, here we go, sermon number two. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us As if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. All right, there's a little more that continues. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there for the second message. Hopefully you're seeing a couple of common themes between these. Let's move on to the third sermon. If you continue on in the book of Acts, now chapter 4. Now that the crowds have stirred up interest in these two um, rabble rousers, Peter and John, it now comes to the attention of the Sadducees and the temple guard. And so what do they do but they arrest Peter and John. The next day they, they bring them out and they ask them the question, "By what power are you able to do the things that everyone is talking about?" And so we're going to pick up the ser- this is the third sermon now, Acts chapter four, starting in verse eight. Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. All right, that's our third sermon. Two left. You guys are doing good. Here we go. Fastest sermons you've ever heard before. All right, Well, we're going to be in chapter five. In chapter five, you'll see the things continue to get worse. It's no longer now just the um, Sadducees and the temple guard who are interested. Now it has gone to the entire of the religious leadership in Jerusalem. There's a name for them. They are called the Sanhedrin. And so once more, Peter is called to give an account of, for what's been going on to this now higher authority. Acts chapter 5, look with me in verse 29. Acts 5, 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. All right, one last sermon, and this is going to be chapter 10 now. So we have a few other things that are happening in the story of the spread of the church. We have uh, sermons that come from other people. Uh, uh, Stephen, he is one of those uh, deacons that is also going to proclaim what God has done. But one more from Peter. Again, five sermons from Peter. We're looking at them all. We're trying to draw together common themes that we can identify through each one of these messages and to see if there's anything in there that we can adopt when we share the gospel as well. Acts chapter 10 in verse 34. As you're turning there, uh, just know that Peter is no longer standing trial. Peter is now no longer before the Jews. He has now gone to the house of a Gentile, a man named Cornelius, uh, uh, employed by Rome. And so this is now the sermon Peter gives For the first time, to Gentiles. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and who do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God has already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living All the prophets testify about it. And everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All right. Great job. You made it. Let's do a little review from last week. Let's get those wheels spinning again. We're we're trying to understand what are the critical components needed when sharing the message of the gospel. The first was evangelism, looking at Jesus as who? Jesus as what? So I heard the word Lord. Let's put a different word in there, right? Jesus is king. That's it. Jesus is king. I heard from uh, Jana this past week at the at the meal. She was saying how she had some some friends who were being a little bit bullying to her about who is in charge of her and who she report to. And she had had enough of it at one point. If you know Jana, you know she can get to that point. And she said, I'll tell you this, Jesus is my king. Do you want to meet him? Amen. Now, what I want to say is, she has the exact right words. That's the exact right phrase. We might want to soften that a little bit to Jesus is my king do you want to meet him too? <laughs> That's a critical ingredient when it comes to evangelism. He has to be your king. But what we see today is that there is another critical ingredient in evangelism. And it's something that I, I hate to say, I feel like is lost a little bit in all of the ways in which we are taught to present the gospel. And it's simply this He's alive. You know what? I don't need to convince you of that. That's simply factual. He is not dead. He's alive. And that becomes the centerpiece of the message of those who witnessed Jesus and then is passed down to the disciples who they taught and the disciples who they taught all the way to today. Jesus is king and Jesus lives. I have a few observations that I'd like us to walk through. I'm, pre- I'm presenting them as forms of answers to the question on why resurrection, the message of resurrection, why is it so critical for us? And the first one is, uh, who does the message of the resurrection focus on in evangelism? And the first thing that we learn is that the, re- the resurrection dignifies Jesus. I'm not using the word dignity here as though Jesus didn't have dignity. What it means is it highlights him as other. It highlights him as completely separate from all others. It brings dignity, honor, fame, praise, glory to Jesus. Now, there's a lot of good things that Jesus did in his life. There's, There's all kinds of amazing things that you could use to ascribe this kind of honor to Jesus. But there is one above all. According to the scriptures, according to the apostles, there's one characteristic of his life and death that stands head and shoulders above all things, and it is the resurrection. In fact, as you heard today from Peter, the resurrection is the central theme of Jesus' lordship. If we look back into the passage that we have at the very beginning, uh, Acts chapter 2, remember it was his first sermon, in verse 36, by virtue of highlighting the resurrection Peter concludes with these words he says therefore let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus who you guys killed both Lord and Christ it is the resurrection of Jesus that is the central theme of his being Lord The second thing that we see that gives dignity to Jesus is that resurrection reveals Jesus' triumph over death. Now, that may seem to you to be obvious, (laughs) right? I mean, if he rose from the grave, clearly you you go toe-to-toe with death and Jesus, who are you going to bet on? This is not a trick question. (laughs) Like, Jesus wins every time, 10 times out of 10. Um, I I think if you were... uh, it, you'd be picking uh, fighters or something like that for, for a bout, right? And uh, in one corner, you have death. And in the other corner, you have Jesus. Come on, it's over. It's over even before it starts. Uh, when I was in the, in the Bahamas, we had this one bus that we were working on. And uh, there was a problem with the solenoid. There was a problem, it seemed, with the batteries. Um, and uh, I was working with a partner. And he was outside. He said, OK, sure, kill it. Cut it off. So I jumped in the bus and I turned the key off, but the bus didn't turn off. <laughs> he said, turn it off. I said, I'm, I'm trying. It's not turning. I pulled the key out and the bus is still running. Some of you know, sometimes diesel engines can have problems like this. Uh, we had to unhook the batteries and snuff the engine to get it to quit. I mean, that's, you couldn't even do that with Jesus, right? But he, he, he's not going to quit, right? <laughs> death is going to say, didn't work. <laughs> we, we tried death on Jesus. Didn't work. This is how John shares it in his Revelation, Revelation chapter one. Jesus says, I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. It is the resurrection of Jesus that dignifies Jesus as above all in his lordship and in his ability to conquer death. Second observation, here's our question. Why does the message of the resurrection help in evangelism? What is the helpful part that's unique about resurrection? And you see the same thing flowing here from Peter's message. The first is this. Um, It defines Jesus. It is the resurrection and what it does for us in evangelism that gives characteristic definition to Jesus only. Nobody else. Not Peter. Do you remember the moment? P- Peter's being uh, interviewed by the authorities. Where'd you get the power to do this? Now, if Peter was prideful, he could have said, yeah, I've been working out, trying to raise people up, cri- cripples, whatnot, you know, restore. He-, he could have been dumb, but he didn't. He tells them, it's not, it's not from us. This power doesn't come from us. This come, it's comes from Jesus. And it's his testimony of the resurrection that defines this ability within Jesus. You'll see that the resurrection shows the ultimate proof of Jesus's power and authority. And, se- and uh, secondly on this, it's the resurrection that reveals the exclusivity of Jesus. If you look back with me in the messages here in chapter 4, you'll remember that as Peter and John continue to get called before higher and higher authorities... Uh, They get called before the temple leaders, and it's this word that Peter concludes with. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that's given to men by which we must be saved. Other than the name of who? Only Jesus. How is that true? Well, because you guys killed him, and God raised him up. That's how we know this. How do I know that Jesus has power and ability? How do I know there's no other way than Jesus? Well, it's the resurrection. That's how I know. Thirdly, the question is, how does the message of the resurrection help? So not why does it help. The, the, the reason why it helps is because if it shows the definition of Jesus. Well, how does it help? Well, it, del- it actually delivers Jesus to the people that we speak to. It delivers Jesus to you and to me. I want to show you, I I know we ran through these sermons pretty quick. Let me just highlight a few verses from them, and I want you to see how it's by the resurrection you now have an invitation. Ready? This is the first sermon. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, which means come into the community of God so that you can be taught and trained. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again the next message. He says therefore repent. And turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. In his fourth sermon. God exalted him to his own right hand. Prince and savior. That he might bring Israel to repentance. And forgive their sins. In his last message to Cornelius. He says all the prophets testify about him. That everyone who believes in him. Receives forgiveness of sins in his name. Do you, do you see how you. You're given an invitation. Do you see the extension? Do you see how Jesus is offered to you and to me? It's because it's only through the work of Jesus, not only to die on the cross for our sins, but then to be raised to new life that now Jesus is delivered to us through the resurrection. This is the common theme through all these messages. And the way that I'm highlighting it here is with this phrase, Jesus's resurrection becomes our resurrection. He died. His death becomes my death. His new life is now offered to me as my new life. And there's, there's one more point that I'm going to get to in, in, in a minute on this. But before I do, allow me to just show you how Paul shares this same theme with the church in Colossae. This is Colossians chapter 3. But pay attention to the resurrection theme here. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I want you to know that the way in which the message of the resurrection helps us in evangelism is that it is the resurrection alone that then gives the opportunity for an invitation that we can repent and be forgiven. And in doing so, we are recreated to no longer think earthly, but now to think heavenly, looking forward to an ultimate resurrection. Which is the last point here. What does the message of the resurrection do for us in evangelism? Well, the resurrection of the dead depends on Jesus. The resurrection of the dead depends on Jesus' resurrection. Here's a verse I think we covered at Easter. I'd like to read it. It's a little bit long. It's Paul at the end of his letter to the the Corinthians. He says, If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. More than that, we are found then to be false witnesses about God, for we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see the resurrection of the dead... As a future hope for you depends on Jesus. And this is how I, I want to phrase it. It's that the resurrection is the fact and the hope of our faith. The resurrection is the fact of our faith. And it's the hope of our faith. Now, we, we read through these sermons. Did you see how things continue to get a little worse from man's perspective for Peter? Like, first the crowd was a little bit annoyed, and then it was the temple leaders who were a little bit bothered. And then pretty soon it was the entire Sanhedrin who are saying, hey man, what's going on? Do you see how things didn't quite go maybe the direction that sometimes we would hope our efforts of evangelism go? Well, let's ask the question, did Peter do something wrong? Maybe Peter should have just softened the message. Maybe he was being too offensive, and that's why everybody overreacted. I want to submit to you that I don't think that's at all something we need to be concerned of. Instead, I think what we need to be concerned of is sharing the message accurately and letting the outcome be up to God for wherever the spirit of God is working on in their hearts. In fact, we have another set of stories that I'm not going to spend much time on this morning that come from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul gets arrested. He gets the people stirred up around him. I want to show you his response here. Three times at the end of the book of Acts. Then Paul, knowing that some of them, some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called, in, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial. Why? Because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. That's, that's what now has Paul on trial. And then he gets taken before the governor. This is Felix. So it's, it's going up the chain just like it did for Peter. Paul says, however, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written about the prophets. That I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And just one more at the end of the book of Acts. Now he stands before King Herod Agrippa II even worse than a governor. He's now before a king, Paul says, and now it was because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise of our 12 tribes are hoping to see as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? For Paul, it was not only a fact, It was the hope of his proclamation. All right. Thank you all for tracking with me through all of these messages. Just before we end this morning, let me offer to you some encouragement for how you and I can use the message of the resurrection when we witness to our neighbors. Step number one, pray. The whole account of these sermons through the book of Acts begins with Peter and John going to prayer. It's three o'clock. They're headed to the temple. They're going to pray. I will continue to submit to you that there's very little you can do on your own. And so ask God to help you in that. Secondly, let us learn to prioritize the correct message of evangelism and not necessarily the outcome of evangelism. I'm not against any of the uh, strategies. I'm not against any of the methods that we can learn by which we can best learn to communicate the message. However I am, if what we are doing in turn is diluting the necessary ingredients of that message. And I hope you were able to see this morning that in every one of Peter's sermons, what was at the center? You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. Every single time. We got to make sure that we get that part right, even if it sounds offensive to those who are listening. Number three, we need to let Jesus' resurrection be the reason for your passion. I think this is unmistakable to recognize for the apostles. I mean, it was true for me for my fish, right? As soon as I saw that they were alive, everything changed for me, right? I I now had a whole different set of priorities. The same was true for the apostles, but you weren't there, right? I, I wasn't there. So I get why Peter is sold out. I get why the rest of these guys completely get it. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus alive today? Let me get a really good answer on that. Is Jesus alive today? Yes, Yes, he is. Oh, he's alive, you guys. It doesn't matter what the world says. That's true. Let that be the passion. Just like it was motivating the very first apostles. Let that be the fuel that energizes you to share with the people who are going to do one of these. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Sure. Science denier, right? Or whatever, they're going to they're come up with all kinds of accusations against you because you believe something that's been passed on to you by eyewitnesses and is as true today as it was then. Let that be your passion that motivates you. One last encouragement. Let the resurrection of the dead be the hope of your pronouncement or your proclamation. And let it be the proclamation of hope. There's nothing greater for the Christian to set their sights on than the resurrection of the dead. I know you have loved ones who you've lost. Guess what? Death is all ahead of us, too. Good luck with that one, because when it's you in the boxing ring with death, I'm not betting on you. But once Jesus shows up, everything changes. One last verse to leave you with. We read it already. Acts chapter 5. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name day after day in the temple courts and from house to house they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is king give me an amen on that amen. All right, let's pray this morning